we only had one car, so she came on the school bus with me. And then this kid walked past me on the school bus that always picked on me. And he goes, what's up, Egypt? And he punched me in the chest right in front of my mom. Uh-huh. And my mom goes, oh, my God. And I go, don't worry, Mom. He doesn't know how to hit, and I won't punch him back. And she goes, what? She goes, how, what do you mean he doesn't, how long has this been happening? I go, ever since the second day of school. And she goes, why do you say I won't hit him back? I'm all, because dad said if I go, if I fight, they send me back to Egypt by, by myself. Yeah. And then we went to the principal's office and the principal goes, uh, my mom's English was bad. Right. And, you know, he was, you know, whatever kind of a principal, maybe he was a little bit racist, a little prejudiced, but yeah. this woman with an accent is trying to explain that her son's being abused and she was, or being beat up and she was hysterical. And yeah. the principal finally goes, look it, if I don't see it, there's nothing I can do. Okay. If I don't see it, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And then we went home and she told my dad, and it was like the first time my dad had ever like kind of stood up for me. Uh-huh. And my dad goes, or first time it was like, he, my dad's never said, I'm sorry to me, but the, uh, his energy was almost apologetic. He goes, I made a mistake. Yeah. He goes, if somebody hits you, you hit them back twice as hard. You never let someone hit you. Yeah. He's looking, you will not go back to Egypt alone. I promise you. And then I had, you know, months of rage built up and I got on that school bus and as soon as that kid touched me I just unloaded (laughs) just unloaded knocked out his tooth and split his lip and they called my parents and like oh Tamara put this kid in the hospital he's getting stitches and blah blah and my dad goes give me the phone to my mom and my dad goes on the phone he goes if I don't see it there's nothing I can do Hey everybody, Tom Goss here, host of Leaving the Tribe. Uh, new episode out with Tamara Catan. Uh, Tamara is one of my favorite comedians. Um, you've, you've, you've probably seen on any <laughs> one of a number of uh, uh, different television shows and uh, also just one of the genuinely nicest people uh, I've, I've, I've ever met. Um, please follow him. On uh, all uh, all social media, all social media, Tamer Cat, and that cat is with a, a K, not a C. Um, we talk a lot about. I mean, we mostly talk about anger on this one, <laughs> and uh, it's something that we haven't really talked about on this on this show before, at least not in depth. Uh, and uh, it was it was a phenomenal conversation. Um, a little bit of. Oh, also, please follow Leaving the Tribe uh, on all social media, Leaving Tribe Pod, and me at Gosga6, as well as Tamer. Um, the uh, uh, I have a Patreon. Um, it's it's technically for the show, technically for past shows. It's kind of it's kind of weird. Uh, I inherited it along with my old podcast, Mean Boys, that is ending soon, um, and. Uh, there is uh, bonus content on there that I'm I'm doing. Not all of it is completely themed with leaving the tribe. Some of it will be, some of it won't be. I will announce when I have a leaving the tribe specific bonus episode up. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and support me, support the show, you can do that uh, on Patreon. There'll be a link for that in the show notes. Um, but uh, uh, also. Uh, if you don't want to give me your money, completely understandable. You can support the show by rating and reviewing on iTunes. Uh, it's always a helpful thing, easy thing you can do. 
Uh, it helps the show. It helps us look official. Uh, and I will respond by being more official and making sure I have an episode out every week. Uh, I apologize. It's been so inconsistent. There's been a lot of inconsistencies with recording space. I have now moved to an area where I will be able to record before I was living in a kitchen in a home with seven other people and all different schedules. So it was really hard to be able to lock people when, you know, there was all this chaos surrounding me. So now I, I, I'm in a better situation to be able to record consistently. Uh, and I plan on, on doing more episodes this week to guarantee that there will be consistent content for you guys. Uh, so I really do appreciate your patience. Um, uh, but it, it, it will be more consistent from now on. And thank you for listening. You're going to love this episode with uh, my friend Tamara Catan. Here, because okay. I'm, I'm very curious about sure. this stuff. Um, uh, Tamara Catan, we were just hello, Tom, guys. Yeah, great, great. I'm so glad you're you're. Uh, Thanks, man. You're able to come in. You're one of my favorite people in the oh, scene. Thanks, I'm, man. I'm so, so are you. Super, there's so few people that are like both genuinely kind people. Mm-hmm. And equally funny. Thank you, man. That means a lot. I no, appreciate that. A lot of people, it's it's one or the other. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of really funny dicks out there, and there's a lot of really nice people that you wish were funnier so that you could sure. work with them more. And you're 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 a holographic Charizard, <laughs> and that you're both. Thanks, uh, man. That's and, super nice. But we were just we were just talking before recording, and you um, there's a lot of stuff I'm I'm curious. I don't know much about your life. Uh-huh. And we were uh, we were doing a show together down in San Diego. We we're doing Lestats together. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and I just started learning some stuff, and immediately I was like, I would fucking love for you to be on the show. And one thing that you mentioned, because I also. Uh, I have this in common with you. You said you fought a lot when yeah. you were younger as a kid. Yeah. When did when did that when did that start? Um, I think it started when uh, when we first moved to America. I was from Egypt. My uh-huh. dad my dad wasn't really an involved dad. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Right. So he would like just give me random, like like duct tape together fatherly advice. You know gotcha. what I mean? Like it was real janky. Yeah. Like he'd say stuff like uh, he didn't want me to get in trouble in school, so he's like, "Listen, you can't." I was an aggressive kid. My dad was a boxer. And so I learned to, you know, I was all about fists. I was all about throwing punches. Like my mom used to joke that after I learned to walk, my dad knocked me down with a Muhammad Ali punching bag. Oh, really? And I remember it. I remember the way it smells. I remember the way it sounded. There was sand at the bottom and then you'd blow it up. Uh And then it was Muhammad Ali and you'd punch it and it would just swing back and forth, you know, like a real, like a. No, I had, I had not the Muhammad Ali. I had one of those as a kid too. I think it was like uh, Hulk Hogan or something. My aunt hated me. I wasn't in a rut. But yeah, Yeah. exactly what we're talking about. So I grew up like that. And then when we came to America, my dad didn't want me to get in trouble. So he's like, hey, don't get in any fights because if you do, they're going to send you back to Egypt alone. And yeah. me and your mom are going to stay in America. <laughs> that, oh, he told you. Yeah. This. Like he, it's told, it's like duct tape, janky yeah. parental advice. So inevitably I started getting picked on quite a bit and the kids figured out, Oh, if you hit this kid, he won't hit you back. Yeah. And then I was like maybe eight or nine and I started wetting the bed uh-huh. and I, I hadn't wet the bed in years. And my mom was like, what's going on? And she took me to a doctor and the doctor said it's from stress. Yeah. And my mom's like, what? Stress? She goes, yeah, you need to go with him to school to figure out what's going on because there's something that's stressing him out and he's not verbalizing it. Yeah. So she came with me. We didn't. We only had one car, so she came on the school bus with me. And then this kid 
walked past me on the school bus that always picked on me. And he goes, what's up, Egypt? And he punched me in the chest right in front of my mom. Uh-huh. And my mom goes, oh, my God. And I go, don't worry, mom. He doesn't know how to hit. And I won't punch him back. And she goes, what? She goes, how, what do you mean he doesn't, how long has this been happening? I go, ever since the second day of school. And she goes, why do you say I won't hit him back? I'm all, because dad said if I go, if I fight, they send me back to Egypt by, by myself. Yeah. And then we went to the principal's office and the principal goes, uh, my mom's English was bad. Right. And, you know, he was, you know, whatever kind of a principal. Maybe he was a little bit racist, a little prejudiced. But yeah. this woman with an accent is trying to explain that her son's being abused and she was, or being beat up, and she was hysterical. And yeah. the principal finally goes, look it, if I don't see it, there's nothing I can do. Okay? If I don't see it, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And then we went home and she told my dad. And it was like the first time my dad had ever like kind of stood up for me. Uh-huh. And my dad goes, or first time it was like, he, my dad's never said I'm sorry to me. But the, uh, his energy was almost apologetic. He goes, I made a mistake. Yeah. He goes, if somebody hits you, you hit them back twice as hard. You never let someone hit you. Yeah. He's looking, you will not go back to Egypt alone. I promise you. And then I had, you know, months of rage built up and I got on that school bus. And as soon as that kid touched me, I just unloaded, (laughs) just unloaded, knocked out his tooth and split his lip. And they called my parents and they're like, Oh, Tamara put this kid kid in the hospital. He's getting stitches and blah, blah. And my dad goes, give me the phone to my mom. And my dad goes on the phone. He goes, if I don't see it, there's nothing I can do. And then hangs (laughs) up, hung up on the principal. And that opened up. Yeah, man. And then it opened up a crazy door. Cause I mean, imagine being an immigrant kid, no one's your friend. Everybody yeah. picks on you. And then you beat up this kid and all of a sudden you got friends. Yeah. And then fighting became my identity. Fighting became more than a thing I did. It was like why people liked me right. was because I could damage people. Yeah. And well, it, you're, you said your dad was, was he a my, amateur or pro? He, he was like the equivalent of golden gloves. Wow. Yeah. And so had he been teaching you how to box as a kid? He, he didn't teach me much, man. Like he was surrounded by it. He you was saw it. I was surrounded by it. Yeah. I saw it. And you know, he had PTSD for he was in the war and and he boxed and he didn't go to therapy or anything like right. that. And he was just if he got mad at you, he would just stop talking to you. Yeah. Like one time I went a year without talking. Yeah. And we lived in the same house. A year. Wow. I mean, could you imagine my poor mom? She's like, look at these two idiots. Yeah. You know? But he was just, he didn't want to have a kid. You know, he didn't right. want to have a kid and he had a kid. And what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like yeah. back then abortion wasn't an option and all that other stuff. And he didn't want me, but he got me. And it was, you know, he was in a Beatles cover band, dude, in <laughs> Egypt. He wanted to be an artist. Yeah, yeah. And then he got, you know, he had this wife and they had a kid. And all of a sudden he's an accountant. Right. And, you know, and basically going to work just to pay bills. When he got to America, he's like, yeah, the streets are not paved in gold. This is a hard hard life yeah and you don't get much vacation i mean egypt there's not a lot of opportunity but boy is there a social life right you know what i mean and there's more there's more i mean i don't i don't like i'd be bluffing if i pretend i know much about egypt but is it like europe where you are guaranteed a certain amount of time off and i i know other countries in general yeah there's more community in other countries. way more community it's different than europe in the sense that there's less opportunity it's pretty much wherever you're born is where you stay Right. You could have a great job, and if you're a shithead, you keep that great job. You could have a terrible job, and if you're the best worker, you're not going anywhere. Gotcha. It's yeah. like an invisible social class, and you know, my dad. Like, even though my dad did pretty well back there, he's he didn't like the the idea of being stuck. And then my parents were mixed religion, so people used to 
you know, terrorize us a little bit. What, what were, what were, uh, my dad was Muslim. My dad was, or I'm sorry. My dad was Muslim. My mom was Jewish. And then my grandmother wow. was, yeah. And my grandmother was Greek Orthodox. So wow. she was, so we had Muslims, Christian and Jews in the same house. And these people would, I remember this as a kid, we'd hear like sit on our door late at night. My mom's like, get away from the door. Uh-huh. And, then, and then the next morning you'd open the door and there'd be like a, a cross painted in red paint. Was this in Egypt? In Egypt, it, yeah. 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 So like some Muslim guys painted a red cross on our door so everybody knew that we weren't Muslim uh-huh. or that there were Christians living in the house. And then my dad, we didn't, we didn't have like great supermarkets. So my dad would pour gas on a rag and, and you know, take the paint off that yeah. way. But it happened so often the door didn't have paint on it anymore. Right. It was just like, just fucking... Do you think that was part of the reason they came here too? Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. yeah. Dude, there was even a time I was walking on the street with my mom when my dad was in the war and I'd be walking down the street holding hands with my mom and my grandmother used to always dress me in these outfits from Greece because she was Greek and really proud of it. And this guy comes up to my mom and goes, oh, what a handsome little boy. What's his name? And my mom bends down to say, tell the man your name. And then, but she had a star of David that popped out of her blouse and the guy spit on her chest yeah and then i punched him in the dick (laughs) i was like six or seven or something like that you you were hardcore as a kid yeah i was i was i was angry you know like i knew my own dad didn't want me which was a weird feeling you know and i'm sure and i had this weird thing where i I used to say my family's definite definition of warmth was a head in the oven and feet in the freezer (laughs) like my mom would over love me and my dad would over discipline me and they both thought they were correcting the other one's mistake right you know what i mean creates polarization totally yeah normal i was like emotionally bipolar yeah you know in terms not inside i wasn't bipolar but my connectors to other people were bipolar yeah yeah 100 percent. externally you were yeah yeah so i had a lot of people that i I had a few people i loved and people that i hated Right. But there were very few people that I just felt m- in the middle about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you had you had that a lot of anger. anger. Yeah. I mean, look, whether you're angry or a peaceful kid, I think that rule, if someone's, I like to think, and I don't know if I would, because a lot of my anger came later. I, I, I wish to hope six-year-old me would have punched a dude in the deck <laughs> for, for, for spitting on my mom. Sure. Like that was, that was. Of course, like, did she appreciate it or was she mad that you yeah, were? I mean, it's funny, you know, there's a lot of things I did as a kid. Yeah. I was an only child, and I think when you're an only child, at a certain life stage, you develop kind of quick. Because right. instead of mimicking other kids, you're mimicking adults. Yeah, sure. Like, I used to walk with both my hands behind my lower back like a tiny politician, you know? Because there was always old people at my grandma's house yeah. visiting, and they were all, like, kind of proper older people. Right. So I would sit with my legs crossed. I'd have my hands behind my back and then when my dad my dad would say things like really sloppily uh-huh. you know like that example of him saying if you fight you go back to egypt alone right in egypt he'd say i'm going to war you're the man of the house you have to protect your mom yeah so i took it really literally right this guy spit on my mom i have to protect my mom yeah and and i was scared of my dad i don't know that i ever really loved my dad but i feared him for yeah. sure you know what i mean because right. i mean fear was so big that i never knew if i ever loved him because that fear eclipsed everything else yeah there was, was no such a room to feel anything yeah else. i didn't know there might have been some love behind that giant eclipsing fear yeah but i i didn't notice it until he got way older and his testosterone levels went down to manageable amount where you could actually have a conversation with a guy you know what i mean yeah yeah no that's uh that's that's crazy the 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 (laughs) when you told that story about uh your dad saying telling the uh telling the principal if i didn't see it yeah 
Dude, that gave me chills. Yeah, it's dope, right? That, that, that is like one of the most fucking hardcore <laughs> responses. Yeah, it was dope. Yeah. I, I mean, he's he's not he's never been um, poetic with words, but that was such a... It's not often you get to see justice in yeah. something that's not a TV show or a movie. Yeah. In life, you know, it's like a guy snakes you and then a cop pulls him over and you're like, oh, justice. Right, right. You know, especially now. I feel like now we don't get to witness justice in the wild. No, I think justice, I mean, the reality is I think justice is pretty rare. Yeah, I agree. I think I think revenge is more common and yep. I, think, I think just it falling into the void of uh, the timeline and nothing, re- lack of repercussions happen all the time. Revenge happens. I think true justice yeah. is is incredibly rare in the real 100% world. 100% agree. And it's a shame because I think it's the air for happiness to yeah. believe that things are just and that bad people don't get away with being bad and that good people don't have terrible things happen to them. It, it keeps you breathing happy. Right. Then when you start realizing it's not that way always, you know, it's not always that way, then it, it's a bummer. You, oh, your, your joy takes a hit. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. How old, when, when that happened, how old were you? Uh, I'd say then I was about eight or nine. You were eight or nine? Okay, yeah. so this is like pretty... Pretty young, yeah. Yeah, really recent after moving to the States. Yeah, but then they couldn't stop me. Yeah. You know, there was... was it suppressed uh, until that moment? It was... Well, then what happened is I became a fighter, right? Because then it was like... It was like when an animal primes on you. Yeah. And it goes, you're my mom. Right. And then that dog you looks at you... alpha. I became fighting was my, it wasn't a thing I did. It was a thing I was. Yeah. This is what made people like me. I came from a place where I fit in. All of a sudden I was thrown into a place where I didn't know the language. Uh, My clothes didn't work. Uh, Soccer was no longer cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Now soccer was something, you know, I was in Egypt where soccer was the sport of heroes. I got here. It was the sport of gay people. According to the kids, you know, I didn't know. So all of a sudden it was my anchor. Fighting was the one, it was like digging a finger in a cliff and going, I'm not going to fall now. Right. I found this thing I could shove my fist into and hold on, and it was fighting. Yeah. You know? I really do think the only two universal language is love and punching. There's no, yeah. the, the, no matter what culture it is. Well, it's emotional, dude. Yeah. It's really, really emotional, you know? Like, I remember it, it was... It wasn't until I found comedy that I let go of the violence. Right. And it was like, then it inevitably from eight years old fighting on until I got to high school, then I started getting in trouble. Yeah. Because then I started fighting the wrong guys or, or the guys that I beat up were be part of a gang. Like right. I fought this kid that was part of 13th street and I was like, fuck 13th street. I don't know what 13th street is. Yeah. I didn't, there wasn't a 13th street in Hollywood. I went yeah. to Hollywood high. And then I was like, uh, and then I, and then I moved away cause I got in trouble there. And basically 13 was the 13th letter of the alphabet for M for La M.A., for the Mexican Mafia. Uh-huh. I had no idea. So I beat up this... This kid used to beat me up every day, and then I finally got him once. Yeah. And then, like, adult gang members came to my school, like 34-year-old men, and they jumped me and beat me with bike chains. So bad Fuck. that my mom came to the hospital, and my face was so swollen. She goes, that's my son. That's not my son. That's a Korean kid. Wow. And they go, that's not a Korean kid. Your son's nose is broken. It changed the shape of his eyes. Wow. And it was like... Then they sent me away to like another school to Arcadia, but but then even there, like I'd it, it, that had taken the fight out of me, getting beat up by adult men at, yeah. you know, when I was like fifteen. Yeah. And then uh, there was a kid that used to pick on me all the time, and I'm like, I'm sick of this, so I just started making fun of the guy. Right. And then he goes, he started getting hurt, and he goes, if you stop making fun of me, I'll stop beating you up. 
And I was like, oh, jokes work too. Yeah. And then jokes became power. Right. And, and that's when you just, started. Yeah. You started slowly transitioning. Totally. From, it was like switching yeah. from a gas car to an electric. Yeah. You know, and going, well, this is a more efficient fuel. It is. It's less violent. Yeah. This is going to uh, burn less in the future. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll last longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was, what was, I mean, was it, was it just purely out of kind of like that was who I was or was there like the I comedy mean, like when I, I know when I fight, I don't see shit. There is Me a either. fury Same. that takes over. Yeah. You feel like the whole, I've really, you know, I've experimented with some drugs. I've, I've, I was, had a problem with alcohol for a period. It's been fine lately. Uh, but I think more than anything, I'm addicted to anger. Me too. And I'm terrified to ever let that out. I try, I try not to put my position, put myself in positions where it'll come out. Cause I know that I will hate it as soon as it passes. Yeah. But in the moment, there's no high quite like it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, abs- I, f- I don't just get you. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a hard thing. It's-, it's visceral. People don't get it. Like there's, I've had uh, anger management therapists that were like, and I'm like looking at him going, have you ever had an anger management problem? And he's like, no, I'm like, I don't, you're not going to understand. You don't get it. Yeah. It's like telling, I was like going, I have to take a shit. And yeah. someone going, don't. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't get it. I got to get it out of my body. Yeah. Like there was a dude, I, 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 there was a guy that went to high school with me and he said, uh, he came to one of my shows. Uh-huh. And then during, but it wasn't a regular stand-up show. It was a, it was a storytelling show. Gotcha. And then the storytelling show, I was talking about the last time I cried, I was 13 years old. And, and I was talking about the phrase, boys don't cry. How they, we, we said, it's not men don't cry, it's boys don't cry. We right. say that to boys and how that's wrong. And then at the end of the storytelling show, this guy came up to me and goes, hey, man, do you remember me? And I'm like, did you go to Arcadia High? And he goes, yeah. And, he, and I go, oh, shit. I'm like, hey, man, good to see you. And then he goes, uh, he's like, yes. And I, and I go, hey, sorry, I didn't know you were coming. I would have told you this isn't a stand-up show. He goes, no, this is cool. I really dug it. And I'm like, thanks. And he goes, but by the way, you, the last time you cried was it when you were 13. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, remember when you used to, used to fight me? I'm like, you mean when you used to jump me? And he goes, um, well, the last time we fought, I won, but five other times you jumped me. And he goes, yeah, but do you remember what happened that last time? And I'm like, no. He's like, you had your knees on my chest and you were punching me in the face and people were trying to pull you off. And while you were punching me in the face, you were crying. Yeah. He's like, and I had nightmares yeah. about you for years. And I was like, no way. He's like, so it wasn't 13 the last time you cried. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. I didn't even remember that. Yeah. I didn't even remember, but it, it, it was emotional for me too. Like I'd fight and I'd be like, it would be like being the Hulk because I would feel like I'd lay down and like you my body ashamed. was exhausted yeah. and I feel ashamed. Yeah. Always yeah. feel ashamed. That's, you know, what's funny is I've, I've, I've both won and lost fights. And when you lose, when I've lost fights, people thought I'm crying cause I got hit, but I, I've, I've cried when I've won. Fights. Sure. Me too. It's not the physical pain of it. It is, I don't know what it is. I always, I, I've, I've actually, I've never talked about this before, yeah. but I've experienced that before in the middle of a fight where you're, you're done and I like, why the fuck am I crying right now? Yeah. It's I'm a, not I, in pain. It's a, it's, it's a release, dude. Yeah. I think it's a release, you know, like I used to joke that, you know, my dad was abused too. And the guy that abused my dad was like a vampire <laughs> and he bit my dad and yeah. turned my dad to a vampire. Then my dad bit me and now I'm in America. So I have the luxury of therapy. 
so I right. could figure out how to be like one of the vampires on Twilight, <laughs> you know, and be a manageable vampire be that lives in Seattle yeah, and yeah. goes to school and has a girlfriend. Right, right. You know, but it is like that. I think it is. We're, I think we're different than a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I don't. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I never, I never, I've, I've just in general, I've never, I don't talk about this, uh, uh, you know, a ton because I, I mean, I feel a lot of the fact that I, I do have. Like I like addiction is such a strong, it's a strong word, but it, it there is a after you feel that there's a part of you that goes that did oh, yeah. like it felt terrible, but it yeah. felt great. But I'm alive. Yeah, and you never feel more alive than yeah, yeah. And and not just with fighting, but even just you know, my girlfriend described it is because we were, we were got in, got in a verbal, we were arguing with each other. Yeah, it was about something I was very sensitive enough, and I'm like, yeah, there were just werewolves in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the thing where, like, well, I don't ever want that to come out. I feel like there's that monster they want to keep caged, especially Same. as a comedian. Yeah, you want to bring joy to people. Hundred percent. You want to bring. You want. You want them to laugh. You want them to have fun. And hundred percent. You're exactly right. Yeah. You, you know, you feel guilt knowing that there's like, and maybe it could. I don't know if it's you too, but I always feel this weird sense of shame. Like, man, yeah. if only people knew the monster that yeah. could be unleashed. <laughs> if, if you fucking poke it, you know, yeah. and, and you know, it's, uh, but, uh, and it's funny too, because I think if you are that way, then you can't be an angry comic on stage. I think the guys yeah. that are angry on stage that are ranty on stage, afraid in real life, they're the opposite. They're like a growling chihuahua yeah. because a growling chihuahua is funny. Right. But a growling pit bull isn't right. <laughs> Yeah. It's not funny. No, that's you know? true. Like I am to anger what a red car is to speed. Yeah. I could do the same thing a white one does and I get pulled over. Right. You know, so I have to be careful with it. Like even with hecklers, if somebody heckles me, I repeat what they say into the mic so everybody hears that the justice is just. Right. You know, but you're not just being. A, I can't be a dick. Well, I, I see. I don't. I When people ask like, what, what how, do, how do you handle hecklers? I go, I am trying. I be as polite as possible. Because yep. even then. I'll come off like I'll I'll come off like a dick. Yeah, and yeah. I don't I don't want to, and I'm always I, and I also I'm afraid that that will be the perception of me because I've sure. had those those phases where I'm I you know I felt like a fucking animal. Sure, and you don't want that. I think you know the scariest thing is the idea that it repeats into something new that you love into the yeah. You, you don't want the past to seep into the present yeah uh, and that's about that's i mean i think that's one of the fucking scariest possible things out there yeah no i agree 100 yeah. percent. yeah i mean i feel it's funny i think like i'm getting a little older and it's nice to get older it's nice like have more control over yourself like i feel way more chilled out now i meditate twice a day it's made a huge difference Comedy's changed my life in a big way yeah. I'm, I'm a different person how, how does the, the meditating was it at first was it was it different because the reason I ask this is I've tried to meditate. Yeah. And I have about a 50-50 ratio where sometimes I meditate and it's helpful. And I got a good trick for you. Sometimes it makes me angry. Of course it does. Because I spend all my time yeah. doing something. I'm never just like I'll play video games. I'll sure. write. I'll read. I'll look yeah. through the news. I'll look through. But I won't just sit there. Even yeah. when I'm thinking, I'm thinking about something specific and I have punched walls after meditating. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how, did, did you experience any of that? 100%. How did you get through it? Well, like, have you ever watched Caesar Milan? The dog whisper. The dog whisper. Yeah. So that some dogs are closer to wolves. And, okay. and some dogs are, 
are bred for generation after generation after generation to be very domesticated. Right. I think, you know, I think guys like you and I are a little closer to wolves. And like whenever Caesar Milan's encountered a dog like that, the, he didn't try to train it first. First, he took it for a run on his yes. rollerblades. Okay. He got the dog really tired physically. Uh-huh. And then when you get a dog tired physically, then you're more able to let ideas absorb into its brain because the resistance softens. So like I used to try meditating all the time. A lot of my friends that had anger issues tried to meditate all the time. They couldn't do it. But then one time I did this yoga class in India uh-huh. and then I was, they, I mean, we were exhausted from the heat and all this other stuff. And then when I meditated, I went into such a deep meditation. I felt like I was high and I was like, Whoa, how come I, how come I keep, being able to meditate so deeply in this class and it's because I was physically tired first. Right. So then I started meditating after I, after I boxed. Uh-huh. And it became like sort of the MacGyver meditation for like, you know, guys that want that peace but, but don't have peace as a default. Yeah. You know, so I needed to get my anger out of my muscles, get tired, exhaust my body first, and then meditate, and then it was beautiful. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. I'm going to keep that in It's mind. dope. It works. Yeah. Yeah. No, the second time I talked to you, I was interrupting you meditating because we were doing, I was hosting. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the first, the first two thoughts I had about you was like, wow, that's a really nice guy. And the second was, ah, oh, this dude meditates. I'm going to have nothing in common with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> dude, the guys I learned to meditate with were like cholos and dudes that were just out of prison because we yeah. were all in an anger management class. Where is their app where they can teach me? Because it is, and there's nothing wrong well, with there, it. Well, there, there's YouTube videos of it. There's, okay. a, there's a dude I like online a lot named Wes Watson who spent like 10 years in jail as like a, like a shot caller. He was like super yeah. gnarly guy. And now he's like a motivational guy on YouTube. Okay. And he's gnarly. But there's a lot of these guys that are convicts that come out. And I really believe, I believe in indigenous wisdom. You know, uh-huh. like, am I, a, I'm not a spiritual person necessarily, but like, do I believe in science? Absolutely, I be, believe in science. But are there things that science can't prove that indigenous people have done again and again and again over the years, like mushrooms and things like that right. and kava? And so, absolutely there are. So I think like, um, what were we just talking about? I spaced out for a second. Oh, you were telling me about uh, the the shot caller guy and all these yeah. people and the, the science. So and, I yeah. think by being in that prison, he's in a situation that very few human beings are. A very primal one. Very primal experience. Very unique human experience. But at the same time, there's a lot of learnings you can learn from being in this ecosystem. Yeah. Right? And he, not every prisoner is able to articulate those experiences. But he was a smart guy. You know, he was a, he was a major drug dealer. He was violent. I don't forget that. I don't forget that he was probably racist. He was probably violent. He was probably a really bad guy, but who he is now is a different person. And and I'm not his friend. I'm not going to hang out with him, but I'm also not going to throw away uh, opportunities for wisdom. You know what I mean? And I, I think he's gotten a lot of wisdom that you can't learn from a guy in a lab coat. Right. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, you literally just summed up why I started this podcast. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> is it's I don't I think there is really like especially in today's society, I really feel like there's nothing more taboo than who you used to be. Yeah. And people want to judge who you are now over based off of who you used to be. Yeah. And no one I think it also not only is it like uh, not only does I in my opinion, it descends uh, uh Decentivizes like change. Yeah, I agree. 
not only does it do that, but it also like I think the process of changing is one of like like that's beautiful. Uh, well, yeah, and that's actually that's why what, what when we were you know one of the things I wanted to ask you is you did reach a point where you 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 know you were hospitalized, you were yeah. the shit kicked out of you, yeah, and then not only did you have to learn to control your anger, but you also had to learn to change your reputation yeah. and all of that. And I, I was curious, like, how did you go about that? Cause that seemed, I feel like once everyone agrees, like that's the funny guy, that's the fight guy. That's the, yeah. it's really difficult to go, Hey, I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's also hard for you to change internally when all of your external forces are telling you you're this. 100% agree. And I'm really curious how you went about that. Yeah, I think part of the reason why it's sticky is they say the strongest human drive is the drive to belong. Yeah. Like stronger than food and water. Yeah. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the bottom should be belonging before food and water, before shelter. Yeah. They've done experiments like this where they had a monkey in a cage on one side where there was a blanket that smelled like its mom and the, on the other side was food. Yeah. And those things starved. No, I... You know, I, w I just I was just told about this experiment. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So so you get it. So belonging for me was really heavy. Yeah. But the anger just it didn't work. I mean, no matter how tough you are, you're never going to be the toughest guy. And if you're too tough, then people are going to come at you. Yeah. And they did. You know, I got jumped by guys that were out of my school that were 35 year old men. You, by I, fucking mobsters. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Much. yeah. Gang members. I, it was the first time I'd ever seen a face tattoo. Was a guy hitting me in the face with a bike chain. Yeah, I didn't know who they were. They just came out to me and they said, where are you from? And I looked at them and it was the 80s and I'm like, nowhere. Yeah. Because that meant, what gang are you in? And the guy goes, are you sure you're not from Egypt? And then I went, <gasps> and then I woke up in a hospital bed. Yeah, they I saw didn't, the look on your face. I had no, as soon as I realized they were there for me, Yeah. I like, I almost, like the wind was knocked out of me before they even touched me. Yeah. And then this dude just took a step back and I remember chain wrapping around my head and then it clicking my teeth. And then I don't remember anything else. I'm just waking up in a hospital bed. And my mom was crying and holding my hand. And it was like, I was like, I can't be this guy. I can't, this is not, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be around these people. My parents took me to like a really nice neighborhood in, in arcade. I immediately found the fighters. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, cause I showed up to school well, with a black eye. They found me, you know? Well, yeah. And there's also, I mean, like uh, you exude, you, you were still exuding that energy. Sure. Yeah, you had you had been you'd been the fighting guy. You're now you're in a new set. But like instinct is instinct. Yeah. You know, the guys who are going to fight, you know, the guys who aren't going to fight back. Yeah. You know, the people who just want to be left alone. Yeah. Like, but your body doesn't feel good. Like nobody gets PTSD from hugging too hard. <laughs> right. Like love feels good. Yeah. You know, even even though that I couldn't even say that sentence three years ago. Yeah. To say something like that. I couldn't even look at a sunset and be like, that's beautiful. Right. I couldn't say that word. It was soft. It was weak. I yeah. thought it was weakness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And after those guys jumped me, I, I went through a really bad period because I loved growing up in a Mexican neighborhood and I felt like an adopted Mexican. I felt like they embraced me. Right. Because Egyptians didn't. They were like, you have a Muslim dad and a Jewish mom. Well, you're not one of us. Right. And Americans didn't embrace me because I had African hair, you yeah. know? And then... All of a sudden, you know, I found my group with fighting and all this stuff. And then I was like, I'm, I'm just really freaking confused. I didn't know right. what to do, where I belonged, any, any of that. And then I felt like I had a fresh start in the school with rich kids. And, and it got a little bit better. But it, it, 
I was angry for a while where I started hating Mexicans. And it was weird because I felt like a Mexican. And then I got jumped by these guys that were hyper Mexican machismo. They yeah. jumped me and they hurt me and they made my mom cry and they scared my family. Yeah. And then it felt really personal. So I'm like, I don't like Mexicans. And for and it felt weird. It felt like I was self-hating because they were so kind to me my whole life, you yeah. know? And then one time I was skateboarding on Franklin out here. And it's there's still a crack in that sidewalk. It's on the way to Cafe 101. I was skateboarding and I hit my front wheel. It was at night. Because back then, street we didn't have ramps. Everybody was all about street skating and launch ramps. Right, right. And I was skating. So we'd skate around 1 or 2 in the morning when the streets were clear and we could do ollies and shit. And I fell off my skateboard and broke my arm. And I'm like on the ground going, ah. And my I landed so hard that my bone broke and then went on top of the other bone was breaking skin. Oh, shit. So this low rider pulls up this Impala and this Chola looks at me with feathered hair and she goes, oh my God, baby, are you okay? Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. And she goes, oh my. And then she saw my arm and right. she goes, oh my God. And then she looks at her boyfriend. She goes, baby, pull over. And they pulled over and she came and they looked at me and she goes, we got to take you to the hospital. And I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then her boyfriend came over and he was like one of the scariest looking cholos I'd ever seen. Totally had a teardrop tattoo on his eye, throat tattoos in the 80s. So he was real scary. Yeah. He, he picked me up like I was a damsel in a oh, silent shit. movie. And then she sat in the back seat with me, was like pet, stroking my head. They drove me to Kaiser and, the, and I stopped hating Mexicans. <laughs> I'm like, they were the kindest people to me, even though they look like the people that jumped me. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like, and then I was like, oh, I like love. I like kindness. It feels good. That's what feels right. But I had those two extremes in my life. I had my mom who overloved me right. and my dad who over disciplined me. So it wasn't a surprise that both of my experiences in the world were either fighting people or making people laugh and making them feel happy. Right. And then in the end, I realized I didn't have to be like my dad to be a man. Yeah. I could be like my mom and be a better man than right. my dad was. And then my, a lot of my heroes became women. I started loving punk rock. And at the time in the eighties, there were a lot of like really strong female lead singers, like the runaways and Pat Benatar, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. like bikini kill. There were all these amazing bands with strong female singers. And I got really into like, tough chicks right i really like tough chicks that wore leather and spikes and denim and spit Ooh, <laughs> if i saw a girl spit i'd get a boner so fast <laughs> i was like i like i like these wild women you know that look like wild dogs with no collar yeah you know they were my kind of girls yeah and that was and that that, that just just that that act. was my origin story to yeah. like who i am now i think i'm still that guy you know to where i'm very I'm very proud of being my kind of man and I'm proud that I learned to be a man from a woman. Right. You know, a strong woman who was stronger than my dad. Yeah. You know, she's strong. Strongest person I know is my mom by a mile. For no sure. one even comes close. For like sure. Like the stuff she's gone through, the stuff she saw and like as happy as she is now, that's strength. Yeah. Going through shit and then being angry, that's not strong. No, I mean, that is that is a thing that, you know, I've thought about that too where the stereotype, you know, the stereotype like uh, in America... And I don't know if it's this way in Egypt too, but a, a man doesn't cry. A man fucking does push-ups and gets right. no money and shuts yeah. the fuck up, and, <laughs> and all that shit's weak. And all of it's all of it's like, uh, yeah, you're literally you're turning you're turning like emotions into brain cancer. You're not processing yeah. anything, and it always ends up. You end up just passing along to the people who are your closest with. Exactly. It's like saying I'm not afraid of heights but I never fly. Yeah. 
Well, then you didn't conquer your fear of yeah. heights. I just don't look down. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't say I'm strong and then avoid emotions. Right. Then you're not strong. You, you're just avoiding things that take strength. Yeah. You know, that, like the, whole, the whole boys don't cry thing is terrible. Right. You know, it's why like I, you know, it's why I enjoy doing shit now that I didn't like. I, my, my DVR is so wacky now. It's like bare knuckle fighting because uh-huh. I'm still I still am who I am you There's know what still, I mean yeah, of course. and then RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> which I'm completely addicted to and then like MMA knockouts or you know uh, Dana White's Contender Series and then like Queer Eye and then like Br- British Bake Off and then some other uber violent <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. You know what? You know what was a, a weird moment for me talking about like worrying about that. Like, yeah, this isn't masculine. Is uh, yesterday, I I went to Target. I was just getting some some food and stuff. I just moved, and I saw these scented candles. Yeah, and the, I was there earlier in the week, and I saw them, and I looked at them, and then I went with my my roommate, uh, and she was like, "Oh, are you gonna get a candle?" I'm like, I'm not gonna get a fucking candle. Yeah. And then, Yesterday I went and I was like, man, pumpkin bourbon smells pretty damn good. <laughs> pumpkin bourbon does sound good. Since, that's sound- since I got it, I've had this weird shade about <laughs> like just a cycle. Like this is why your dad wouldn't recommend you for the construction company is <laughs> holding this fucking candle. It's so weird, right? Yeah, and it's such yeah. a narrow definition of what it means to be a man, you know? meaningless. It's like saying you're a painter, but here's this, here's the 16 colors you can paint with. Right. And it's like, why? And and who are you, dude with wooden teeth and powdered face makeup and a wig to tell me what it means to be a man today? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a flip phone telling us an iPhone what kind of apps it can have. Yeah. Like, no, you don't get to dictate that. And that's the best thing about punk rock. It taught me to question everything. It taught me to question authority. It taught me that even though I was born with software in my head telling me how to think, that that I didn't have to accept that software. I could delete right. it and install my own shit. Right. You know? And still define what it means to be a man. You know, I don't, I, I'm as, I'm as liberal as some of those cats that live in East Hollywood, uh-huh. but I can do push-ups and right. I, and I can, you know, and I know how to box and I know how to protect myself and yeah. I'll, I'll still get in a scuffle. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, you know, but I'm still, I'm more in control than I've ever been. And I like, and I like that. I like who I am. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it now. Yeah. You know? I, on the, on, I mean, on the path from going to like, then to now what were kind of some like i'm sure there were moments where it kind of like fell apart yeah i mean it's crazy i I think it was i could i disappointed my dad all the time but i just went numb to it yeah nothing made him happy but when i upset my mom it was real right and it was almost the reverse like with with joy if i made my dad laugh i knew I said something really special. Yeah. Because he he never liked me. Right. But my mom loved me. So when I upset her, I knew it was really bad. Yeah. And, you know, there'd be times where I'd come home, especially when I was really big into punk rock and we'd go to, you know, punk shows and get in those crazy mosh pits with the wrong kind of people. Right. And, you know, I'd come home weekend after weekend with just like my hands were bloody, my shirts were bloody, my... You know, I, I used to pierce my skin with a safety pin like day after day in my forearm, in my neck. I'd put safety pins. Uh, like piercings or like a form of... of, of like body mutilation. Gotcha. But I would yeah, pierce yeah, yeah. it through my skin and then just have a safety pin hanging gotcha. off my neck. And then you'd mosh with that? No, I wouldn't mosh oh, with that. Okay. But I would wear... I, if I, I had this history teacher that I didn't like, so I would intentionally put it through my neck because I, I knew it grossed her out. Right. It was, if, I, if I was a plant, those were my thorns. 
Yeah. I would do shit that would keep push people away. I used to have a mohawk and I'd put toothpaste in my hair and shake it really hard so it looked like I had really bad dandruff so people would keep away from me. Interesting. Yeah. That's what it was like. It was like a beware of dog sign. Yeah. You know? And one of my friends jokes about that. He's like, I like that you're not the same person. There's no dog in your house anymore, but there's still a beware of dog sign out front. Right. Like, was it was it out of fear that they wouldn't like you or that you would flip on them? Or what was... I, I, I was lonely, you know? Yeah. I was a really lonely person. My parents had to work two jobs and I was a sad kid. You know, I went from Egypt where I was like the prince and we had so much family there and then we come to America and everybody had to work so much and so hard and all of a sudden I had a key tied around my neck and I was making myself breakfast and making myself dinner and sometimes going to sleep before my parents even came home. Yeah. So I was a really lonely, lonely kid and I was a sad kid and when you're not allowed to be sad, the replacement is anger. Yeah. And so it was that, you know, it was the anger is what, what I used to like, anger is what I use the way kids use those security blankets. Right. You know what I mean? It made me feel alive and connected, but I was, but it was, it came from a sad place, not a, yeah. not a, well, it, that's one of the things you told me at, at least, and I told, I hope it's okay to say. Yeah, of course. You yeah. had, uh, more than one suicide attempt. Yeah. Was this after you were trying to like, say goodbye to the anger is that when that came in or was that yeah i mean it was i think the worst thing is to feel like there's nobody there's nobody in the whole world that's like you or feels like you or that you were a mistake and stuff like that like i always felt like i was a mistake like especially my parents being you know different religions and then the way my dad treated me and he i didn't look at my dad as a victim i looked i looked at him as the truth right if people told me i'm like there's even if a girl liked me i'd be like as soon as a girl told me she liked me i'd break up with her yeah. Because I'm like, she's a liar. Right. My own dad doesn't like me and he knows me. Yeah. So if you're telling me you like me now, I know you're a liar and yeah. I don't, I want to be with you. So I like pushed people away. And then when we did the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air thing in Arcadia, where I did, I had to lie about my address. So then it added to the pushing away to where I didn't hang out with anybody. I was just alone all the time, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that that's what kind of like led to uh if you don't if you don't no i don't want oh the suicide stuff yeah yeah Yeah, i think feeling alone and feeling like i didn't matter that's i mean that that's the the beauty of therapy it's amazing how healing it is when you find out that somebody else feels the way that you feel that's that's been the most reoccurring thing on this podcast and what's what's uh what's it because i've also had had suicide attempts and therapy was i've always felt that it was uh I've had it until very recently. I've had a very negative. Honestly, I've had a very negative outlook on therapy until starting this podcast. I'm sure. How many people it actually has helped. Yeah. And I've also. That's normal, by the way. Yeah. Because the solution isn't therapy. It's the right therapist. Yeah. And you have to find the right therapist the same way you have to find, you know, the right anything. Right. You know, you, it's, so it's not therapy isn't the solution. The right therapist is. Yeah. You no, know? and I think, I think, I think that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean, though. I felt the same way because my first few therapists weren't right for me. Well, I was, yeah. I mean, I was in, in therapy for like eight years. Yeah, me know? too. About uh, that. And then in and out of psych wards. Mm, wow. Like more than 11, less than 16. I, I lost count <laughs> after. I know yeah. it was eight before I turned 18. Wow. And so like I, I have, I've, I've, I've had a lot of, in the past, a lot of just pure rage towards uh like mental health care. But l- lately I've talked to more and more people who have told me like, yeah, 
it's helped me. I don't know if I'd still be alive with sure. it. I'm like, how did it get to the level where they were taking you to psych ward? Oh, I was, I was, uh, I was having psychotic breaks. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was yeah. having psychotic breaks and, uh, I kept trying to kill myself cause I thought if I didn't, then a bunch of other people were going to die was mm-hmm. kind of the, the delusion. I actually, I thought, yeah, I, I don't know if I've even said this on this podcast yet, but, uh, I used to have the psychotic break and the delusion. I was actually the Zodiac killer. Wow. I was going to travel back in time, kill those people, move forward back to now, kill people. And the only way I could stop that was to kill myself. So I kept trying to kill myself Wow. to stop that from happening. Yeah. <laughs> to save a bunch of people who were already dead. And they kept landing me back in the hospital and they didn't really know what was going on. And yeah. They gave me a bunch of diagnoses that are incorrect you know yeah uh, and you know i've been off meds for about four years now that's amazing yeah no they and they told me that you know i have a lot of anger that they told me i'd never get off meds and turns out my life got exponentially better yeah. but that doesn't but it's also like that is that is a one in a million thing <laughs> yeah and i think comedy yeah. is really healing too man it, like it's it's been incredibly healing yeah incredibly. to rewrite a story like i tell a story i talk about child abuse on stage and when you can, like, I was at Harvey's Comedy Club in Portland this weekend. Yeah. And man, when I did this joke about child abuse and you have 250 people laughing with you. Right. It completely changes the story in your head. It changes yeah. it from a drama to a comedy. Yeah. And it gives you, yeah. it gives you some sort of power over it. hundred percent. And it's, and I, I told this to one of my friends. I go, he's like, oh, you started comedy late. I go, no, I didn't. Yeah. I'm doing this for eight year old me. Yeah. Eight-year-old me is is who the comic is, right? And that's that's who the jokes are for. I'm not healing the man; I'm healing the boy. Yeah, you know he's still there, right? Yeah, it's it's uh yeah no I've 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 thought it, you know what's funny is uh uh when I write I try to write uh but what what I think in my head is write the jokes that fourteen-year-old you who is about that's to cool. have those psychotic breaks write to that kid because that's what I did in my free time is I'd watch stand-up specials on youtube yeah me too that was i became obsessed with it yeah and that was also the period i went from my angriest to my craziest back (laughs) yeah you know but that's that was that was it was the relief intention totally i mean laughter it's the it's the sonic version of sunshine you know what i mean (laughs) that's such a great good that's a great quote right i I mean it's it's warmth and and anger is coldness. Yeah, because you're alone. You're, it's cold and it's dark. And then laughter, just the sound of it. I mean, even I've lived alone a lot too because I I didn't feel comfortable with roommates, and so I'd always live alone. And when I did, I always had certain radio shows on. You know, like either Howard Stern or the TV on. The sound of laugh tracks was almost as important to me as as whatever show was on. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like it was just yeah. I needed it in the background so that the house felt filled right felt warm right mm. see I, I but i agree with everything you're saying about the but but the laugh tracks i feel like the laugh track is, is <laughs> i know i know you're totally right that's but a, it's like a, a tanning bright, bed yeah yeah <laughs> it's a it's a light bulb and people are yeah. telling me that it's gonna give me vitamin d yeah. but if you see a comic with orange skin you're like ah laugh tracks <laughs> 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 fake tan <laughs> yeah no it's uh yeah no that's uh um did, were were you hospitalized after? Never, you? no, huh? no, no. I got threatened with uh, schools, different kind of schools that they'd send me to. Like I, boarding schools. Yeah, I ran away from home a couple times, and uh, 
the suicide stuff was never anything that got me hospitalized. It was just pills a lot of the times. Yeah. And, uh, and I'd get really sad. There were times where I'm like, oh man, it was weird. Like so I, every time I did it, I did it with music on like as a way to pump myself up as if I was right. about to run on stage Yeah, and I would pump myself up to take these pills. And then there was one time where I had like, I knew an amount that would have fucking killed me for sure. And then the, the tape got chewed up right before I was going to throw it in my mouth. Uh-huh. And then I was like, fuck. And then I like stopped the tape and like started twisting it backwards. And it took me so long to get the tape right. So it wouldn't get chewed up again that my mom knocked on the door and I'm like, fuck mom, I'm trying to kill myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was fucked up. And then like, and then it was like, she's so sweet and she's so kind that it just made me go, it made me stop and realize how much it would hurt her. You know what I mean? And I was like, I can't, yeah, I can't do that to her. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, I think that's the, that's the hardest. uh, That's the, you know, did, did you ever know what was actually, did you ever tell her what? No. Um, I had friends knew maybe she did. I'm not sure if she didn't know. We've talked about a lot of stuff cause I do a podcast with my mom now and, yeah, and well, what's, what's the podcast? Oh, it's called, they tried to bury us. They tried. To we bury, just yeah. do uh we just interview a different immigrant every week. They're all American origin stories. Uh-huh. And man, it's as if like just naturally she knew that when a mic was in front of her, that honesty came out we had conversations that we just had never had before, you know? Yeah. Like my dad, uh, stuff about my dad. When I first started doing comedy, I think one of the first jokes I ever did was I'm like, have you guys ever met someone that bullied you so badly? You hated everyone with his name. And I go, that's why I hate guys named dad. (laughs) (laughs) My mom did not like that. She's like, your dad didn't do that. That didn't happen. You know? And she was like, and that, really made me angry and I'm like you're not coming to any more of my shows and all this stuff and then later on as time went on she's like well I do remember this I remember that but you know he loved you he just didn't know how to tell you and then I found out this crazy thing that she told me for the first time on our podcast uh-huh. which is that my dad's dad my grandfather spoiled the shit out of my dad because he was not a he wasn't a super healthy guy he always knew he was going to die young and then when my dad's dad died my dad was angry because he felt like, well, why were you so close to me? Because now I really have pain. And, yeah. and he cried and people made fun of him for crying and told him, stop being soft. Stop, you know, yeah. you have to be a man now and all this stuff. And then so my mom said that when my dad was on his deathbed with cancer, my mom said, why are we so hard on Tamer? And he said, because I didn't want him to ever feel the pain that I felt when my dad died. So I always kept him at arm's length. Wow. And my mom was like, oh my God, it is such a broken person's logic. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's also 100% forgivable. And it made me forgive him and it made me stop being angry and it made me understand that he was a victim too. You know what I mean? Like one of the craziest things that happened to me, like your podcast is called Leaving the Tribe, right? Yeah, yeah. So when my dad got cancer, we had this really weird dynamic because I was an adult now and cancer kind of, to brought things into like real reality and it clears the fog of issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, when you're dealing with someone that's going to die, you you figure out what is actually on what matters. Exactly. So I used to just, I started hanging out with my dad every, he'd go to chemo on Friday so we could go to work on Monday. Like that's what he was like. Yeah. So I'd go with him to chemo and I, and it was a bunch of other men 
that were similar to him that would do that. Chemo Friday, go to work on Monday. And there was an older black guy there. And he's like, oh, you guys are Egyptian? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh my God, Egypt's on my bucket list. I've always wanted to go to Egypt. It's the mother of the world and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, that's not something you hear often in America. Right. You know what I mean? So we like this guy and we talk to him every week. And I thought it was my job there to tell jokes. And yeah. that was it. Yeah. I just told them really dirty jokes, really silly jokes. And I tell them about girls that I was, you know, they're all older dudes, you know, right. girls that I made out with and girls that I hooked up with and stuff like that. And, uh, not in a creepy way, you know, but yeah, in, no, a, in a playful with older guys. Right. Way. Right. And then, um, my dad died and I couldn't talk to my dad about any of this stuff. Cause I knew that stress was directly connected to cancer. So I didn't want to bring up anything. But then when my dad died, I knew that this older man's family was all on the East coast and he was there alone doing chemo. And I felt bad that he was going to be there by himself after having me and my dad with him there all the time. And it was like the three of us, he even jokingly called us the three musketeers one time, the nurse did. So then my dad was gone and I, I kept going for like four more weeks. And then at the end of it, he was really appreciative. And at the end of it, he goes, you, you know, you and your dad really made me dizzy. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, all my life, I've thought of myself as a black man, as an African-American, because being black was the greatest source of misery for me. And if I saw someone else who was black, it was a shared misery. So I would always acknowledge them. I would always look for them in a crowded room. I would always look for them in a room full of white people. And I would always give them a head nod because they understood me more than anybody else in that room. Yeah. He said, but then I got cancer. And my greatest misery went from being an African-American and now I feel like a cancer American. And he's like, and as a cancer American, your father's more my brother and you're more my son than anybody my skin color. Wow. And I was like, fuck. And talk about leaving a tribe. Yeah. It felt like somebody gave me the blue pill in the matrix. Right. Like all the fake stuff just fell out. Yeah. And I was like, he's right. He's right. Like the, the, the stuff that they tell us is our tribe when we're born that's all the software that came with our computer. It's not the software that we picked yeah. for ourselves. And to be able to have your chosen family, you know, whether they're friends or more than friends, to be able to have your chosen relatives, chosen tribe, that's, as long as you make that decision with eyes wide open, being, being in a tribe could be a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, but if, you, if it's eyes closed and there's this blind tribalism, this blind loyalty, this blind faith, this is dangerous. Yeah. No, that's you exactly... Know? That's exactly how I I feel about it. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's uh it's uh I mean that 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 shit gave me chills too. But yeah, no, okay. that's 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 exactly and I think that's uh I think people I think we group. I also think that being choose when you choose the tribes that you're part of, you are exercising your brain. Yeah. You're making calculated choices. You're cho- like this is who I am choosing yeah to group with. I think if you just accept whatever the group thinks, you're also you're losing the part of your brain that allows you to be independent. Hundred percent. Stay wild. Yeah. Stay wild. I don't want to be a domesticated dog. Yeah. I don't want to be that. I mean, ties look like an awful lot like leashes to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is uh, an awful lot like that leashes. is. A, did you, is that a you quote or did you say that? Uh, me, yeah, it's a me quote. That my, that is one of my favorite things <laughs> I've ever heard. Right, like that is one of my. Uh, favorite, why is that not tattooed on you? <laughs> well, I had my therapist come to one of my shows one time because I yeah. was moving to New York and he, he was going to not be my therapist anymore. And he goes like this. He goes, um, he's. I think I get comedy now. And I'm like, how do you mean? And he goes, you're a wolf. 
Yeah. And I'm like, how is that? And he goes, you comics, you can talk about things and say things that people who have nine to five jobs can't because we have these leashes, these ties that because we have bills to pay, we have an HR department to worry about. We have our health care. We have our roof. We have our fresh bowl of water, our fresh bowl of dog food. Yeah. He's a bit. You live in a park. Yeah. <laughs> and your fur's matted and and you're kind of cold. Right. And the roof's and there is no roof, you know, and your paws are wet. But fuck it. You could eat wild squirrel. Yeah. You know, he's on. That's what's so thrilling about jokes that are on the edge of appropriate because that's wildness. Right. And it's like a, a, it's like a dog on a leash watching a wolf run going, I'm one of you. Yeah. Even though I'm on the leash and I enjoy my water and I enjoy my food, boy, do I enjoy watching you. I can you. imagine running with you. Yeah. Yeah. I like watching you catch a squirrel. Yeah. You know? No, and I was it's... like, I like that metaphor. And it made me think of like, yeah, I like being wild. I like not, I like being a horse without a saddle. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I fucking, I fucking, I, I love that. I love that yeah. so much, dude. Right on. I, I, really... I knew you were like that. I mean, the minute I met you, dude, I was like, yeah, similar. Yeah, I could just tell kindred spirit. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. Well, no one, no one, no one has ever seen me and go. I bet he's real tame. <laughs> <laughs> I've had, uh, I've, had, I mean, you were talking about the toothpaste and the hair and stuff. I, you know, I, I was doing shit like, you know, that, nothing quite like that. Yeah. But I, 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 you know, I had, a, I was in the comedy scene with a mohawk and a fucking. I wore these weird, like, I wore like these velour jumpsuits <laughs> and fucking. Uh, That's yeah, great. Like just all this weird. I, I was just. It was the same kind of. Thing. Look out for that guy. He's in velour. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just didn't match anything. It was just confusing. <laughs> the same way you, you went more intimidating. I went okay. If I'm confusing enough, sure, you'll be able to actually figure me out. One of my friends yeah. once told me, he "Goes, yeah, you're an open book, but you're an open book that no one can read. No one yeah. speaks the language." But it was very, you know, uh, uh, I yeah, it was there. I I completely. That is the beauty of it, and I also wonder, like, I feel like, uh, and we're we're gonna wrap up and just pretty soon, but like, uh, you know, um, when you're talking about that wild thing, and I don't usually talk about comedy on, on the podcast, but I've been thinking, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you were part of this conversation at Listats, hmm. but every cool, artistic mo- movement, you know, if you go to, you know, even Shakespearean times. Plays were punk rock at one point. Hell yeah, they were, yeah. You know, you have punk rock, you have jazz, you have rap, you have rock, you have all these different things. Yeah. Visual art, you know, visual art styles, they all eventually get snagged by the corporate. Yeah. And it takes out... They try to monetize it. They take... and, And all of a sudden, you see the wolves putting the leash on themselves. That's right. So that because because there's money, and then yeah. instead of you, you, instead of getting these people who are naturally that way, it's people who go, oh, there's a bucket at the end of this, yeah, and it destroys kind of that mentality. It destroys that hundred percent. You 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 see it in comedy. Oh too, my right god, now. dude! It's like you ever see those YouTube videos where they captured a wild animal, but they had it in captivity for so long that when they open the cage, the animal doesn't leave the cage. Yeah. I think that's what happens to people sometimes. Then the the ties on the inside. Yeah. Even when they take it off, even when they open the cage door, they're like, nope. Yeah. This is home now. Right. And it's just like, it's so, it's sad. That's when they take away your, they take away your soul. Yeah. You know, when they take away your spirit, when they dim your light, like that's, 
that's the stuff I, we can't allow them to do that to us. Yeah. How you do know? you, how, how do you, cause you, you, you work, you work, you work a lot with stand up. I, yeah, I, I, thanks. I, I, yeah, I try. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, but like, how have you, how have you, I'm curious more for me than anyone It's uh-huh. mostly non comedians who listen to this show, but like, how, how do you balance that? Uh, w- working a lot and having a normal life. Yeah, but being being approached. Well, no, no, being being like what you do is yeah. hilarious. It's approachable, oh, thanks, but you man. still approach it from a place where there's at no point do I see you on stage. I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like something Tamara would say. Oh, good. There's, there's I'm nothing, glad. There's nothing about you that says I sold out. Good. There's nothing about thanks. you that says, I'm doing this for. From America's Got Talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, I feel like there is a mentality where we are. Everyone's, especially living in LA, everyone's worried about the industry. Sure. How do you like? How do you find that? What keeps you level? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a funny thing. We've got this really strange business where we're the CEO. Right. which feels really powerful, but we're also the janitor, which feels really humbling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah, we own this company, but we clean the toilets too. And like, I think like humility serves me well and arrogance doesn't. And, and I'm ashamed to say it, but there's been times where I got a little arrogant and it didn't serve me well. It didn't, yeah. it didn't feel good. I, I pay attention to how things feel in my body now. I don't think I did that before. Like there's a quote I really like where it said, knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. Uh-huh. And there's like comedies like that. You, you, it's not your brain that has to learn it. It's your body that has to learn it. The way you have to learn surfing or boxing. If you're thinking in boxing, you're already knocked out. If yeah. you're thinking in surfing, you've already wiped out. It's your body that has to learn it. And I think that there's two sides of the comedy business. There's the business side and then there's the art. And the art has never made me upset. The art has never disappointed me, but the, biz- yeah. the business has. You know, like there's a lot of people that are better networkers than other people and they get opportunities that other people don't get. And there's a part of me that's like, well, that's not fair. I'm like, but it's not about that. What's the right. not fair part? Yeah. You know what I mean? What's the not fair part? If somebody gets ahead of you, but their comedy isn't as good as yours, why do you think that they've gained anything on you? Right. They haven't. Yeah. You have the art. So as long as my, as long as I'm more than 51% art, I'm right. happy. If I start, whenever I start not liking comedy or, or feeling like I don't feel like I'm being me, then I'm like, what am I, what am I, I'm not enjoying this. If I'm not enjoying this, then I'm, I'm focusing too much on the business side. Yeah. So I, I try to focus on the art because that's the part that feeds me. It's like the art is the air and then the business is when I go underwater. Right. I got to come up, if the business wears me out, I got to come up for air and then go, and then I could go back down. Yeah. But it's but I I love the business. I've learned to appreciate the business, and I've learned that as long as I'm me, then I can keep doing this. Uh, there's no you know how hard this is. Like it's so repetitive. It's so hard. The it it takes so much to get. You know Jerry Seinfeld once said it takes a hundred written jokes to get to one used on stage. So with that amount of sweat, you can't really do stuff that you don't care about. You have to talk about things that you care about. Yeah. And I'm glad I started. You know, when I did a little bit later than a lot of people, because uh, there was a, a booker in Vegas one time who told me, new comics start here, and he pointed at his dick. He's all, and then they go here, and he pointed to his head, and then they go here, and he pointed to his heart. And he goes, I won't remember you till you go here. Because I gave him shit for not remembering my name. Yeah. He goes, I don't care about your dick jokes. Yeah. And I was like, he goes, do you know how many comics I see? And I was like, wow. And he was right. I was a new comic. And then the last time he saw me, I was a lot more real. And he was like, hey, I really like your stuff. 
Yeah. And I was like, whoa. But everybody's got a different style. You know, it's like music. There's there's the punk rock of comedy, the rock and roll of comedy. There's the country. There's the pop. There's all sorts of different styles. But for me right now, with all the stuff that's happening in the world, it's almost as if the Vietnam War is happening. And I, I want my songs to be about the war. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like right. I, as opposed to not being about the war. But even me, I take breathers. I can't always... Yeah. Talk, like even my political stuff is pretty punchy for political stuff. Like my stuff's really yeah, silly. Yeah, which is a, it's a nice change of pace. <laughs> Thanks. I I enjoy political stuff, but yeah. a lot of political stuff today is just vague statements that I yeah. like. I agree, but I don't understand. I don't yeah, make me like give me a release. Yeah, yeah. There has yeah. to be a release. No, there you, has to be a big laugh. Yeah. Actually, I think political jokes should have an even bigger laugh than dick jokes. They have to, or else it's not worth it. Because yeah. you're reminding me of misery, so you better pop that bubble. Yeah, you know. No, I think that's I think that's a great way to uh, a great way to approach it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I really I'm so glad you were able to come. Thanks, and, man. And I, it's this, been man. nice to chat it up with you. Yeah. No, this yeah. was this was great. There was, there was fucking yeah. This was this was, and I usually don't talk comedy on here, but you are you are a comedian that I really respect. Thanks, was, man. So was, are you. I think uh, the stuff you do is a lot more important than you realize. Uh, uh, you yeah, my my dick jokes are so important. And and I'm not I, just talking about your dick jokes, but seriously, <laughs> you're you're an important person in the comedy scene, and a lot of people have a lot of respect for you, including me. I think you're you're a great comic. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. I appreciate. And you, that. your stuff isn't just wanted. I think it's needed. Well, thank you. Yeah. I really, I, I, I sure. do appreciate that. And I'm not and just so. saying that because you look cute in shorts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, look at those calves. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been walking. It's uh, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, you got not like for exercise. It's just I have a lot of weight to support with. <laughs> okay. Them. You got those some, Amish calves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, seriously, thank you. Uh, what would you like to plug? What's your social media? Uh, any, you know, uh, at Tamer Cat on oh. Instagram, and Cat is K A T, so it's T A M E R K A T, and then my website is tamerkatan.com, T A M E R K A T T A N. Um, all my shows are on there. Um, most of my social media is through Instagram, and yeah, come to a show, come say hi. Yeah, uh, give me a hug. Yeah, no, and Tamer, Tamer for 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 the listeners, and you do you go on the road and stuff too. So yeah. people who listen out of state, check out his website, see see when he's coming out because he's absolutely can't say how funny he is. <laughs> Thanks, man. Can't say how nice he is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you for being Thanks, super bro. real on the show, man. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. Same to you. Yeah. Okay. That was great, man. Thank Thanks, you. Bro. Sure.